Welcome to the Wild Chats Leadership Podcast. I'm Danielle. And I'm Costa, and we're your co-hosts. Hi, Wildcats. Welcome to the next episode of the Wild Chats Leadership Podcast. Today, we have the privilege of interviewing Dean Julie Rich from the College of Social and Behavioral Sciences. Um, Dean Rich or Dr. Rich, uh, the first question we have for you is uh, we just want to know about yourself. You know, tell us about yourself, how you got involved at Weber State, what, what is your background? And how much time here. do you have, Costa and Danielle? <laughs> how long is this podcast? As long as it's you a want long it to story. Be. <laughs> um, summary. I, summary. A, a yeah. summary. Uh, the summary the is, notes. yeah, we could bring dinner. Let's order out right now. <laughs> so uh, my time here at Weber State has been very, very extensive. Uh, my family's been connected to Weber State for a very long time. I am proud to say that I'm an Ogdenite. And Woo-hoo. was born and raised here, <laughs> went to Ben Lomond High School. I'm a lassie, a shout out to all those Ben Lomond graduates and, and students. And uh, decided to come to Weber State. But, but the family connection is really interesting. My, my mother was working here for a number of years, 15 years, as the, uh, the housing mother. Um, she would meet and greet the new students that were coming here from different locations, not only from the states, but from international lands also. And so we had the opportunity to kind of vicariously live Weber State through her growing up because she would bring home some of these international students. Um, They didn't have a family here. And so we had Charlie from Thailand come and eat dinner with us and then cook some of our Thai meals for us. And that was my first introduction to Thai food. We had Joe from Nigeria cooking us Nigerian chicken, which I can still taste today. Mm. It was so good. And a number of international students that she just took and made them part of our family. I'm coming up to Weber State Games because some of the the football players that that were living in the dorms, they were her, she was their mother. And so we'd go to the football games and root for these these individuals. And and, uh, it it was really, really a great time. Forrest Crawford, many people who have worked at Weber State for an extensive period of time, knew Forrest Crawford. And he came here as a student initially to, to play football. And so um, he became part of our family. He stopped by to visit me the other day at my office. He worked at Weber State after he was a student. He was te- teaching as uh, in education as a professor. He's now retired, but he's still my, my brother. And uh, it was great seeing him the other day. And so there's been that tie to, to Weber State. And then my father, even though he was a school teacher during regular school time, in the summer he was also a, a carpenter and worked construction. And so the first stadium seating on the east side of, of our area was built by my father. And so we were able to go to these games and sit in an area that he had worked on. And so even though he had attended Utah State, and I thought, oh, that's where I'm going to go, move away from home, I just felt this draw back to Wildcat land to to work on my degree here. And so I did. I did my undergraduate here at Weber State and got involved in, in many different things. I was on a music scholarship at Weber State, and so I sang in the choir, multiple choirs, and uh, and got involved in in different student projects and and found that that was a very enriching experience. Received my degree in geography and uh, went on to uh, get my other degrees after I was working at Weber State. But I had a bit a bit of time when I was working in industry because I had not only gotten my degree in in geography but 
it, there was a, a technique that I p- picked up called cartography. And cartography is the art and science of map making. Mm-hmm. And so that got, was able, I was able to get a, a, a job working for the Forest Service for a summer. And then I went to go work for an architectural firm, just having the skills of being able to lay things out in a visual manner um, allowed me to get to work for this architectural firm. And then from there went on to other different locations. And so the the techniques, the information that I learned at Weber State allowed me to get some really good jobs. And so I felt I got a, a good uh, foundational education here at Weber State that has served me well throughout my entire life. And so um, I came back to Weber State after working a number of jobs. I was down in Salt Lake City working for an engineering firm, doing some site plans and, and helping developers lay out where the building's going to be and how you bring in a variety of, of services like your your pipes for your water and, and electricity and things like that. And I felt this draw back to education. And I had been away for... Oh, and a few years, probably about eight years, and a position opened up in the cartography lab to help make maps, which spoke to my heart, and was hired on and began working with students making maps, and uh, and I really wanted to get into the teaching aspect, but with just a bachelor's degree, that isn't something you can do at Weber State. You need at least a master's. I thought, ah, I must get my master's degree. And I knew that the U was offering a master's in in geography. And so I I applied and was able to get a a teaching fellowship, which allowed me to teach as a graduate student at the U, teaching cartography, teaching others the art and science (laughs) of map making. And uh, and that was really, really fun. And and when I finished up there, that allowed me to be hired on as a, a lecturer for the geography department was teaching some of their gen ed courses and I really enjoy teaching general education classes so it was a physical geography class and many of the students coming into the class think oh geography I had that in high school or <laughs> junior high I hated geography mm-hmm. and it was my mission to get everyone to be passionate and love geography as much as I did did I succeed all the time no, but there were many <laughs> students that went on to become geography majors from that class. And and I think most of all instilled within each of them a, a better appreciation for the planet that we live on and helping students to see that here we are, our planet, our home, and all the intricacies that come together to make this our home and it supplies us with everything. I mean, the microphone that we're speaking into now, the seats that we're sitting on, the desks that are in front of us, the air we're breathing, that's all supplied to us from Mother Earth or Gaia. And to share that that knowledge with students and have them kind of discover that, yes, their lungs are filled with the oxygen that Mother Earth has created is something very exciting. We talk about food and salt and how salt is sodium chloride and how, you know, you bring these two things together, which can be very toxic on their own, and combine them to create sodium chloride or table salt, something that our body needs. And so we explore all these intricacies of the earth. And and I just fell in love with teaching and seeing people gain a better appreciation and understanding of our planet and how we interface and interact with, with the earth. And, and so I did that for 10 years, 
and and when you're in academia and that role of teaching, you realize that you can't advance. You're not on the career ladder. You need a higher degree. And so I decided that I, I needed to get my PhD. It had been something I had wanted really when I was an undergraduate, but life get, happens. Life gets in the way. And sometimes you have to be reminded that, oh, yes, that was my goal at one time, and then go back and revisit and figure out how you can achieve that goal. And so I, I remember talking to my husband saying, this is my plan. I'm going to go to the U. They offer a PhD program in geography. And um, he said, no. And I, I looked at him and I said, what do you mean? No, I really want, he says, no, not the degree. Yes, yes, emphatically, yes, on the PhD. But you don't want to go to the same institution where you received your master's degree. I said, well, it's right down the road. One can easily get there. You can drive, you can take the bus. Now I'm talking bigger, think bigger. I said, okay, maybe in another state. And he says, no, 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 why not make it international? But my language is English. Hmm. I need an English-speaking institution. And so we then took some time to travel to a variety of locations. Um, and, and we had an extended period of time, a summer and then into the fall, where we went to English-speaking countries such as New Zealand and Australia and England and and searched for a very good Ph.D. program in geography. And and so as we visited some of these places and in the Antipodean part of the world, Australia, New Zealand, and then we flew north back to England, we visited a, a, a university called Aberystwyth in Wales, and, and my heritage is half Welsh. And I thought, oh, wouldn't it be great to go to a Welsh-speaking mm. university and learn we Welsh? And, and, uh, and, and then we visited a few others, the School of London, and, and then went on to the University of Oxford on a lark. We passed by and said, let's just stop here, just laughing and kidding each other about it. And as we walked into the uh, School of Geography, I noticed on the bulletin board a number of articles that were written by a, a professor about climate and climate change, which had fascinated me um, throughout my entire life, how the Earth's climates evolve and change over time. And I thought, that's it. That's what I want to do. That's my my specialty. Even though I did cartography, this speaks to my heart. And so we searched out where that professor was in his office, and he came down, and we sat, we talked, and he talked about my master's degree, and I'd done some research on the Great Salt Lake. And, and the more we chatted, he says, I'm going to bring some American students in, sit down and chat with them and see what life is like in England. And I'm thinking... He's talking like this is in the realm of possibility, mm -hmm. you know, and you start to feel this well of, of energy and excitement just entering into your, into your body and talk to those American students. And they told me about their life and came back and talked to that professor. And he said, send me your, your thesis, your master's thesis, and also make sure that you fill out the application and this and that. And, and uh, I really want you to apply. I walked out of that building on cloud nine. I mean, awesome. I was so excited. And it was in the realm of possibility that this girl from Ogden, Utah, 
who was just willing to go to the University of Utah. Not that I'm disparaging the U for her PhD. <laughs> it's okay. It's um, okay to disparage the U. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, oh, we know where your loyalties lie, Costa. Um, that without somebody saying, shoot higher, I wouldn't have. And so that's a message I try to tell my students, to others that are thinking about doing things, um, expanding their knowledge base, going on for a higher degree, to think beyond, think higher than what they're, they're planning on. Because a lot of times I think we limit ourselves easily and, and our capacity for greatness is there within each of us. And I think sometimes we hold ourselves back because we're a little bit frightened or we're, we don't have the confidence level that, that we could. And so, yeah, once I finished my Ph.D. and came back to Weber State, thanking Weber State for allowing me to have that job held and to step into a role of, of a, uh, an assistant professor and then start on that career path as an employee of Weber State and and my love of interfacing with students and helping them along their educational journey. So that was my summary. I don't know how short that was. <laughs> At well, least was we didn't awesome. have to order in perfect. dinner. Okay. <laughs> we can do that another time. All right. <laughs> Sounds good. No, that was awesome. Um, awesome yeah. I love that. I love that. I don't know. I feel like you've had such amazing experiences, ones that you didn't even think were possible when you were first starting. And I think that that is one of the coolest things about what we're trying to do with this podcast is we're trying to um, prove to people that they can achieve more than what they think they can. And through leadership, I think that that's the best way to do that. So we wanted to kind of move on into our next couple questions and ask, um, what does leadership look like to you? Um, how do you use those leadership qualities in your position? I guess that's kind of where we wanted to start with that. Okay. So, after being a professor for a number of years and probably 28 years as a professor here at Weber State, I moved into uh, a more of an administrative role. Um, kind of leadership is is interesting, uh, and this isn't one of those pauses for you to do some editing, <laughs> but, but you may, you that. may, okay. Um, I think as we go throughout our life, a good leader is always looking for doors of opportunity. They're not satisfied with being stagnant. If water stagnates, it can become such that it doesn't help generate life. It, it, lacks, it begins to lack oxygen and things can die but a river that's constantly flowing is oxygenated and it's full of life. And I believe strongly that, that good leaders continually look for doors of opportunity and just don't sit back and think, okay, everything's fine. It's running along. Mm -hmm. It's ticking along. Um, because that's when you stagnate and that's when things can become problematic and you don't advance. And, and so that's one characteristic is looking for doors of opportunity, not only as a leader, but I think as, as in your own individual life too, that you may be trying to be a professor of geography, but 
you look for doors of opportunity personally too. And, and that's what happened to me in that there was an opportunity because I, in my mind, I thought, okay, I'm going to retire as a professor of geography at Weber State University. And then a position opened up uh, for an associate dean in the College of Social and Behavioral Sciences. And I read the, the job announcement. And I thought, oh, that sounds interesting. I've done this kind of work before. I've, they wanted somebody to help with the building and, or the reconstruction of the, the Lindquist Hall. And I had been involved in, in building and doing some contract work in my previous life. And, and then in some of my projects I've done with students, we've gone abroad and we've built libraries and women's centers and orphanages and, and have been involved in that. I thought, oh, that's really interesting work. I, I would like to help with that. And so I applied for the position, listing the, the different um, qualities that I thought I would be bringing into the job. Was able to get that position as associate dean and, and worked on that building and got faculty moved into a new location and classes in the old. There was an old science building on campus that really needed to be torn down. But <laughs> we rehabilitated it enough to allow a year of survival mode for students and faculty and then move everybody back into a brand new shiny building with lovely classrooms and everything worked and nothing leaked and you know the paint wasn't peeling off the walls and the water was clear rather than rusty and so we came back into a brand new brand new building and and then being assistant dean led a few years later to becoming an interim dean and then the full dean um, that I applied for and, and and got that position about a year almost a year and a half ago and so was that on my radar? No, but because I was looking for doors of opportunity personally, and I think these are leadership qualities, you just kind of look for these opportunities, not only for yourself, but for your classes, for your um, department, for your college, to just expand opportunities and mm -hmm. uh, and and make the educational experience for students much more robust, much more impactful. Um, so they leave here with the skills, with the confidence, with the mindset that they can go out and begin looking for these doors of opportunities for themselves. So I love that. So that's kind of one major leadership opportunity that that is kind of my driving force that has helped me along my avenue of of personal development and then development of my classes, trying to get students looking for opportunities that I think, oh, I really want to get students out in the field, out of Utah, and then thinking, but once we're in another country, how can we help the people in Kenya or Fiji or Thailand and, and connecting with organizations on the ground in those countries so that we can provide greater opportunities for the local people there. And, and so, yeah, you're constantly looking for things that can create a betterment of individuals' lives. That's, that's so fascinating. And I think that's a unique answer compared to some other episodes of the podcast um, because nobody's really highlighted what you said and the word that kept going through my mind as you were talking was courage being courageous being maybe brave or bravery um stepping out of your comfort zone and and just seeing you know seeing what can happen maybe you can fail maybe you'll succeed but having the courage to go do that so um 
it sounds like you've worked with a lot of leaders. You are a leader. Um, what are some personality traits? And you kind of touched on this, but what are some personality traits that you see in, in a great leader? Okay. So can I share with you a few of my heroes? Yes, please. Oh, it's so, answer our next question. Kill yeah. two birds. Oh, oh is that what I'm that's doing? Awesome. Yes. And no, you are perfect. ready to get to dinner, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's no. perfect. <laughs> so, um, and, and I think I've shared this story before with Costa, so he, he knows it. And it's still entertaining. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. We'll continue on. So in my quest to get students out of Utah, out of the classroom, uh, we had the opportunity to take a group of students, 20 students, to India. And it was 10 weeks in that beautiful country that has a variety of sights and smells and foods and people and and clothing and, and landscapes. And your senses are just so stimulated every day when you're, you're out amongst the the beautiful people of India and sharing their food with them. Um, and I had never been to India before, nor had anyone else in our group. But as we traveled the subcontinent during that time that we were there, and it was rough travel, nothing, some things were pre-planned, but it was, you know, getting around as best we could and really exploring the, uh, the area of India. And as we did this circuit of, of India, that beautiful subcontinent, we, we pulled into Calcutta on the train and the way we would normally arrange our transportation to the hotel, which was prearranged, was to find some cabs or a bus to just hire them for a, the journey to our, our hotel. And as we put our students in four different cabs, um, and they were these large, they looked like the old British black cabs that drive around London. <laughs> and as we stuffed as many students into these cabs as we could, we, we gave the, uh, the driver the, the address for the hotel where we were staying. And, and then he started talking to, to me about why India and, and what's my connection to India. And, and I had told him about my geography background and wanting to, to explore India initially and that I also had an individual who had her home in India, and that was Mother Teresa, and wanted to just, you know, touch base on the continent where she served and spend some time in the city where she served. And he said, oh, I can arrange a meeting. <laughs> and and I'm just, I'm rolling my eyes at this time thinking, oh, sure, yeah, as if that's going to happen. And when we pulled up to the, the little hostel where we were staying, he said, now, tomorrow when, when we pick you up to take you on a tour to Calcutta, because we discussed that of him taking us around to the various sites, he said, I can arrange a meeting. I, I, we'll, we'll make this happen. And, uh, and again, I, I'm being very skeptical. But the next day we went and, and did a tour of, of Calcutta and visited some of the, the shrines and some of the different sites. And then he said, and now we'll, we'll visit some of her, her places where she serves the people. And she had developed in Calcutta itself the home for the dead and dying. And then there was an orphanage that, that we had visited. And then, um, and then there's the mother home. And so we had a chance to visit these various locations, which were, um, this is a whole nother podcast of what, what happened when we visited <laughs> these sites. But just to, to leave you with the idea of 
they were transformative and life-changing for the students who walked through the home for the dead and dying and saw these people living out their their last moments of their life and prior had just been living on the street and then to go to an orphanage and to see these young 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 children that um, didn't have a home and some premature babies that they had found in a dumpster the night before just in an open crib and needed to be in an incubator and and it was it was very touching it was very um, transformative and then we went to the mother home uh, after that and as we waited in the corridor we were told that we would have that opportunity to meet Mother Teresa and and this diminutive woman from Albania came out of her meeting and walked along and blessed each of our students. And I still remember her placing her hand on, on my, my head and her blessing me in such a way that you could just feel her, her strength. I mean, she was probably in her late 70s, early 80s at this time, and she died not too many years after we had visited. But... I looked at this woman who hit me at my shoulder. She was probably not even five foot tall. <laughs> and thinking about how she had impacted so many people, not only in Calcutta, not only in India, but also in other locations around the world. One person had created a ripple effect, really a tidal wave of goodness that has had swept around the world. And as I looked at her, I thought, this is the power of one. This is the power of one individual to exact positive change throughout the world. It's in each of us. Now, I'm no Mother Teresa, but I wanted my students and in the programs that followed beyond that to have a sense of giving back and service to others who may not have the material things that we do, but to interact with different cultures, different regions, different locations. And so from that point, um, we went on to, to work in Rwanda and in Southeast Asia and places in Africa, trying to, trying to interact and, and to alleviate some of the poverty, some of the uh, challenges with water, with sanitation, with with education that exists in, in some of the countries. And, and as wildcats, we went around the world to do that. And, and so just meeting her and knowing that she gets things done. She worked hard. She was a small, diminutive woman, but that didn't stop her. Tenacity was what I learned from her and empathy her degree and her depth of empathy for others and putting others before herself was a great learning experience for me. Um, there's another woman who's known as the Mother Teresa of the U.S., actually Mexico. Um, she was a, a woman that grew up in, in California. She lived in L.A., had a family, husband, children grew up, moved away, husband passed away, and she found herself living in L.A. suburbia with, you know, everything that she needed except for her family that was away or had passed on and feeling empty. And she decided, 
that she needed to reach out and do something. And she'd read an article about the prison systems down in, in Mexico and how they were just very, very poor. They didn't have some of the food or sanitation, um, soaps, you know, something as basic as soap. So this woman sold her house, sold everything that she owned, and she went down to Mexico and talked the officials into letting her live in the prison Wow! so that she could come and go, bring food in, bring soaps, bring things in, clothing, help families make that um, connection with each other so that they could bring in food for their families and, and just provide them spiritual help. That's incredible. And, and here it is, the selfish, selflessness that these people offer, wanting to help lift others is, to me, so impactful. And I'm, I look up to these individuals um, and, and their courage, their, their selflessness, and, and try to aspire to that because we all know we need more of that in the world that we live in. I mean, anybody can be you know, selfish and say negative things. That's easy to do. But to kind of look beyond yourself and try to care for others, that, that takes a little bit more. And so that's what we need more of in, in this world. And, and when I see people like that, I read up about them, try to find out why they, why they do what they do. And I think it comes down to empathy and that desire for people to have a better life and to, may I say it, love others. Mm-hmm. I love that. And, uh, yeah, so those two, and, and then Nelson Mandela is another hero of mine who was wanting to have the right to live life the way he needed to. The apartheid that existed in South Africa was just um, a horrible thing to divide people and say, you're different and less than we are. And he fought against that. And he was put in prison and lived, you know, for what was it, 28 years in prison on Robben Island. And then when he was released, he didn't want to exact any revenge. He wanted to build consensus and community. And he became the leader and, and, and president of South Africa and didn't want revenge and wanted to bring people together. And I think that's another characteristic of, of leaders is wanting to tamp down connect contention, not create contention, build consensus, and try to make think, sure things are sailing along because life is difficult enough mm-hmm. without creating problems. Yeah. yeah. So, so those are three that that I've been drawn to, that I try to emulate. I fall very far short, and uh, but I hold in very, very high regard. That's incredible. That I think incredible. we can just, like, end it there. That was amazing. <laughs> that was. <laughs> She's the best story. Yeah, this is, I know. I feel, like, uh, enchanted. I don't you're know. Very, that you're was very awesome. kind. You're very I, kind. I do have a follow-up question. Maybe I missed it. What was the name of the the second woman you talked about? It was Sister Antonia, and I think her name was Mary Clark, C-L-A-R-K-E. But if if you have a chance to read Prison Angel, it's about her life and what she's done. Um, it's a it's a powerful read, That's incredible. and and it has in it 
you, you pick out these leadership qualities that she had. And again, it comes down to the courage to be able to leave behind her very comfortable life, walking into a situation where it's unknown and having that compassion, that empathy and, and wanting to do good. We need That's people awesome. to go out and, yeah. and to create that better world. We definitely do. It's very powerful. Yeah, I think we definitely do. And that's kind of the reason that Coast and I started this podcast was we wanted to inspire the next generation of leaders. Um, so you've worked with students, it sounds like, for a long time and have a really good sense of the things that they can do to like further their opportunities. Um, so our last question we wanted to ask you, what what is some advice, some tips that you have for students who who are striving to be those next that next generation of leaders? I would suggest, recommend, um, encourage individuals to reach out to others. Try to build a base of knowledge of people and, and other cultures. We come from all walks of life. We have different backgrounds. I would try to not just ensconce yourself into your own little group and never look beyond that. Try to engage with people of different faiths, of different political persuasions, of you know different backgrounds, so that you can broaden your your repertoire of people that that you engage in. It it's like making a tapestry. Um, if you can visualize a piece of burlap a piece of material that you can find sacks of potatoes are put in, but, but it's this brown, non-suspecting, just this brown cloth that is plain. Mm -hmm. And then think about taking that brown cloth, and maybe that's me, that's that brown cloth, and what you try to do is take a beautiful turquoise thread and weave it through this very you know open, woven, burlap piece of material weave that turquoise thread through that and then maybe a gold thread and that's you know reaching out to maybe serving with the catholic community or with uh, another organization in ogden and you're helping others and you weave that through and then you're reaching out to maybe someone of a different political persuasion having a conversation about voting and equal rights or whatever and you weave another beautiful thread but just taking what you are and beautifying it by interacting with people from all walks of life. So that's, that's one suggestion that I would, I would say. Um, that's awesome. For me, just getting broad training. I know that when we get into education, that as you start out in your bachelor's degree and you go to a master's or maybe a PhD or you go into the world of work, sometimes we box ourselves in. And I recommend getting out of the box, trying new things, traveling to lands that you would not necessarily think of. And, and you might think, I just don't have the time or the money. And a lot of times there things can be inexpensive. You can go and you can volunteer at a location. You can take off and travel to India and work in the, the, the home of Mother Teresa or in one of her mission areas. There are locations around the world where you can go and work and they want people and you just have to cover the airfare. But 
I, I guess what I'm trying to say is don't be like me and think, oh, I can go to the U and get my PhD. And I had to have somebody else tell me, no, you've got to think above and beyond. Don't just be satisfied with what's here. Think what is in the realm of possibility? What could you actually do? And then think even higher than that and go out and do it and have that courage. I mean, it, it's easy to sit home mm-hmm. and do the same thing and, and to not go out and try to be better, try to expand yourself and stretch yourself. It, it's not easy, but you really need to. I love that. too. So moral of the story is just don't go to the U. That's yeah. what that's what I'm hearing. <laughs> oh, I please. think that that's what <laughs> I'm going to quote you on that, Doctor Rich. Just but quote the thing Julie is, Rich. it's my alma mater also, so I do yes, have a okay, little bit okay. of red there, but lots and lots of purple and the royal blue from from Oxford. So yeah, um, but yes, just get that courage. Make sure you're doing something. If there's a goal you have in your mind that you want to do, and you think, oh, I just can't. It's too big. The problem's too massive. No, don't think that way. Come and talk to people. Talk to your professor. Talk to me. Sit down and share your dreams, your desires with other people, and verbalize it. Throw it out there in the you know, ether so that all of a sudden it grows wings, and you never know what can happen. I love that. That's so incredible. That is incredible. Thank I you. I think that's a perfect way to end. Yeah, I think today. that that was so great. Yeah. Well, thank you, Dr. Rich, for joining us with this Wild Chats Leadership Podcast. We've had, I've had such a fun time listening to your stories and your advice and your tips, and it really did inspire me and make me want to be a better leader for everybody yeah, else around me. I want to go out and travel. That's <laughs> I what, know. That's what I feel like after this. I was like, so we're going to India, right, Krista? Yeah. 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 <laughs> cool. Okay, cool. That's good. That's yeah. good. I appreciate this opportunity. So thank you very yeah. much. Yeah, thank you. thank you. Well, thank you, Wildcats. We hope you have a great rest of your day and stay tuned for next semester when we're going to continue our episodes. And stay wild. <laughs>